Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Cool, we are looking at your kingdom come. Uh, We're looking at uh, a series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we've been sort of building it over the last uh, few weeks. Actually, I see on the slide I've got it still as part two. We're on part four. Anyway, a little detail I missed there. Uh, but uh, we've been identifying, even like if you look at last week, we identified our primary uh, objective of prayer to see that his name be hallowed. That's the primary uh, business of the family, to see that the name of our Heavenly Father is glorified and seeing his name elevated. And when we do that, we realize that uh, his love and our love for him is something that kind of gets mixed up and gets up clouded into in our minds. And we start to think about him as a love among our other loves, but saying, hallowed be his name, uh, we take his love out from among those and elevate them above elevated above, and what it does is it allows us to move in a way that uh, is much more clear uh, when all our other uh, adorations are subservient uh, to him. And so that's the first rung on the trellis of prayer. If you remember, we talked about that last week. Uh, Prayer is like, the Lord's Prayer is like meant to be a trellis. It's meant to be a structure on which something beautiful and organic and powerful can grow. Uh, So that first rung, we pray through all of our adorations and we give them over to God and we make them subservient to him. And the second rung, as those little vines of prayer, little vines of life, is uh, thy kingdom come. Again, uh, uh, just a few simple words, but a really important part of the structure of prayer where we lay down our preferences, where we lay down our ownership, where we lay down uh, all the stuff that we have that we think uh, we carry that we own and say, hey, Lord, the weight of this is really yours. Uh, The decision-making here, that's really yours. Uh, The choices are are really yours. Um, And so we want to live in that way that... uh, really trusts him with those kind of details uh, in our life. So uh, it's crucial uh, for the flourishing of uh, prayer and for the flourishing of the kingdom to uh, identify that kingdom as his and not as ours. Um, And so often um, we kind of look at the kingdom of God and the expansion of it in a way that uh, we tend to... um, wish the kingdom would expand for our benefit or for our validation or for uh, our safety or for our happiness or for our joy, that we assume that the kingdom of God is sort of ours in that way. What we're going to talk about today is how to lay down that ourness a little bit and what see what happens when we pick up that thyness or that hisness or that yourness, your kingdom come, and we're going to see some freedom and joy that comes uh, from that. Um, You know, when we think about the kingdom as being his and not ours, um, uh, it is really freeing. Uh, I remember when Anna and I bought our first home. Uh, We bought it in New Brunswick uh, in, I think, something like uh, the year long time ago, 2003 or something like that. Um, First home we ever bought, $73,000 for the home you see on your screen, which was a two and a half uh, story, uh, beautiful, you know, 150 year old colonial home. Um, 
I remember being so excited about getting in there. And, you know, I remember the first day uh, that we got the keys for that house and we walked in and uh, sort of walked up the stairs and saw the carpet, you know, this old, old carpet that we were sort of excited about when we first bought the home. But as you uh, step on it and it's like, realize there's like six layers of carpet there and they feel like they're kind of pushing you off the railing and you might go down the stairs because the railing's short to begin with because it's a home built, you know, in the 1850s. Uh, and you think, oh man, you think, oh, there's probably asbestos in this thing. You think, oh man, you think, oh, we need a new chimney liner. You think, oh boy. And you think the foundation of the place at one point, the rear wall of the house actually just crumbled and disappeared. And uh, they report a foundation, uh, but they didn't jack up the house when they did that. So you could place a marble at any room in the house and it would just roll out the back door. Like, because <laughs> it would just work its way down to that back wall and go. Um, and, and all of a sudden, I remember that first night sleeping in the house, just the, the weight of that sense of ownership just kind of rested on my shoulders. And I realized I'm responsible to care for this property property and I've got to find the money to fix the chimney and I got to figure out am I going to replace the windows or not replace the windows uh, that that sense of ownership of everything that ownership of the land I mean it's great to have home ownership from a financial perspective to get into the market and build equity and you see all of the freedom and all sort of good reasons there but it's very very different from when Anna and I were house sitting in a condo that's a very different deal, right? We were house sitting in a place that wasn't our own. It was a place that belonged to another uh, person. They were in Florida and we were able to be in their house through the winter. And that person would call every now and then and say, hey, uh, we noticed that uh, before we left, we forgot to fix this or fix that. Uh, we ended up replacing a faucet and we ended up still being responsible for some of the work of the house. We had to care for it. We had to make sure everything was running. We had to get the mail. You know, there was still responsibility and that person could call us to some responsibility in it. So we had the benefits of it. I remember sitting in that house it had these awesome leather sort of captain's chairs that were almost like the chairs on the bridge of the starship enterprise in that old next generation and we would sit there in our chairs and we would watch on the big screen tv which we've never had before and we would watch star trek the next generation it was fantastic um, living in that place having some responsibility for it but the weight of ownership wasn't on us it was a very a different experience uh, same is true in the kingdom for us, I think. Uh, we, when we're building our own kingdom, when we're doing it in a way that we feel like it's ours, sort of without God's help, we're building a place for our own protection, for our own comfort, for our own joy, uh, for our own name, for our own fame. Um, we feel a weight of ownership that we as people aren't really built to carry. We're not really built to own something at that level. We have to be servants uh, and children of the God who owns everything in order to move forward in joy. So there's freedom in not carrying the full weight of ownership of the kingdom. So when we pray that, that's the first thing that we want to see is that God is uh, causing us not to become irresponsible, not to be foolish, but the, the weight of the world isn't on our shoulders, it's on his. I think that's what he means when he says um, that uh, his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Uh, John Wesley puts it like this when he talks about uh, God's will and laying our lives over uh, to his kingdom. He says this, uh, I am no longer 
my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be happy or let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Listen to that. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And we see in that something that absolutely terrifies us as people, uh, something that absolutely scares us. We so, especially in our culture, treasure our freedom and our autonomy and our ability to, to make our own choices, to do our own thing, to have our own identity, to determine our own identity. And we find when we look at uh, our lives, when we're carrying all of the weight of that, uh, nothing but increasing depression, increasing pain, increasing loneliness, increasing brokenness in our culture. Um, these are things that we as people weren't meant to carry. The ownership of all things is meant to be his. So this is his kingdom. And we see that in the concept of sonship uh, as Abraham's children and Jacob's children and Isaac's children did the work and will of their father, uh, working with the sheep, working, but the weight was on the father. And we uh, need to live that way as well and enjoy the freedom of hard work, the freedom of servanthood, the freedom of doing the things that we're called to do, but letting uh, it be his glory, his name, his fame, and, uh, and his ownership. When we want to think about that, um, next word in that phrase, thy kingdom come, is kingdom. Uh, when we think about kingdom, uh, we immediately have a problem in our culture. We look at kingdom and we think uh, colonialism. We think, uh, you know, Britain or France or Portugal or Spain going off to some part of the world, uh, sending conquistadors and soldiers to uh, uh, triumph over indigenous cultures and destroy them and wipe them out and all of that kind of stuff. That's what we think of when we think of kingdom building and we think of wars and destruction and so many things. But uh, I want us to step back from a lot of those images uh, and understand uh, that there is a stark difference between what Jesus means when he says, let his kingdom come, and what we imagine through our history. Uh, when Jesus says, let his kingdom come, he is talking about a kingdom of light, a kingdom of goodness, a kingdom of his power, a kingdom of his glory, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom uh, that destroys all oppression, a kingdom that uh, cares for the sick, that cares for the needy. That's the kingdom that Jesus is bringing into a dark world. So we want to imagine it uh, like this. And to understand it, understand, uh, you'll see this picture of an island on your screen. 
um, that the kingdom of darkness without Jesus is just that. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of emptiness. It's a place of gloom. It's a place of oppression. It's a place of uh, war and fighting and and, uh, and, and and hurt and sickness. And when Jesus comes, he brings uh, something different. He brings something better. He brings something lighter. He brings beauty into that place. And so Jesus comes into uh, the kingdom of darkness and he's enthroned there. And we can imagine that as him coming, uh, using the same metaphor of the kingdom that we're sort of hoping becomes a redeemed metaphor in our minds. He comes into the kingdom uh, and he sits on the throne. And we see that Jesus did that through the defeat of the enemy, through uh, his resurrection. We see that through uh, his redemption accomplished on the cross. Uh, We see this incredible uh, understanding that now the enemy, Satan, the prince of this world, uh, is now paraded in open shame. Uh, he's been destroyed, he's been defeated, and Jesus has been risen to the throne and seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so we see objectively that he is king, and when you look at that yellow circle around this island of darkness, we know that everything inside that circle is his, he now owns it. He's now the king, but the reality is, um, even though that was accomplished 2,000 years ago through what he did on the cross, We still live in this place where his kingdom has come, but his will is not yet done everywhere. We live in this strange place where there are parts of the kingdom where people don't know about his goodness. They don't know about his glory. They don't know about his fame. They don't know that they can trust him. Uh, They hold on to their own cultures, their own ways, their own sin, their own brokenness, and don't know that there's a life of glory and beauty that he has for them. So we live in this crazy sort of tension where he is the king objectively over the whole world, but the world does not yet acknowledge his sway, does not yet acknowledge his reign. And as his kingdom expands, uh, as we move on the fringes, uh, heralding his reign and obeying him and heralding his glory and advancing the kingdom, working out his goodness in the world around us. We see that the kingdom is meant to always sort of get better. It's meant to grow. It's meant to uh, expand. We see that those places closest to the king where he uh, has influence in our hearts and in our lives, those are the places that really feel like his kingdom. Those are the places that really feel like his dominion. Those are the places that really feel like God has come. And we have moments like that, say on our Sunday mornings when we're gathered in a sanctuary and we're worshiping and we're praising Jesus and we're giving him glory and it feels like his glory has filled the temple. It feels like his kingdom has come in that moment, even though it may be dark outside. We feel it in a small group huddled in a basement somewhere, praising and worshiping. We feel like his Holy Spirit is there. His presence has come. He's directly influencing us in that moment. It feels like a moment of glory, but it may still be dark outside. Our neighbors may not know of his love, may not know of his glory. And so if we're honest about it, that kingdom and the borders of it actually never advance in a tidy way. The borders of his kingdom don't advance in a way that um, 
seems neat. We might like to think that his kingdom advances with that yellow border just aggressively and cleanly expanding outwards and everything inside uh, is his and everything outside isn't. But uh, the reality is that we live in a mixed up world. We live in a confused world um, where we are outposts. Uh, we are outside of that uh, sort of circle of safety and we're often surrounded by uh, a lot of darkness. Um, and that border of his kingdom is not just advancing outside of us as people, it's actually advancing inside of us as well. Uh, when you look at the image on your screen, you'll see that uh, our lives are some, and his kingdom is superimposed over brokenness in our own hearts, sin in our own hearts. We see him expanding in us. We see him growing in us. We see him transforming us. But that work in me isn't yet completely done, and that work in you isn't yet completely done. So when we celebrate the kingdom, uh, we're celebrating a place that feels messy, that feels like it's intention, that feels like it's full of all kinds of difficulty. So we've said it's his kingdom, and it's his glory, and it's his honor, but it is something that is not yet come in its fullness. It has already happened in a sense that he is seated on the throne, and it's all his, but it's not in its fullness yet because we have all kinds of messes still to be cleaned up as his uh, glory gets clarified in the earth and so we pray the third word thy kingdom come out of that place of living intention and there are all kinds of reasons why uh, this place uh, is a place of tension and this place is uncomfortable to us there are only some of the people who we pray for get healed uh, only some accept Christ and others seem to drift away uh, we wrestle with our temptations and our addictions. Uh, we watch the culture around us seemingly overtake uh, some areas that previously seemed to be his kingdom. Uh, sometimes we see people switching sides. And so here uh, in the middle of his kingdom that has come, we experience it as not having yet fully come. And we live in all of the pain and all of the tension of that. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, his kingdom come. That prayer for us as people uh, in the outposts is, is first a prayer of longing. It's a place of recognition, a place of honesty, of saying, hey, uh, there is more to come here. There is more that has to happen in my life. There is more that has to happen in my heart. There is more uh, advance of the kingdom uh, through the fuzzy borders of my own life so that he can be sovereign, that he can have influence, that he can have full control and he can have full ownership because I keep taking it back from him. And all of the pain that comes from that mixed up, fuzzy bordered kingdom inside of us, inside of me, inside of you, uh, causes us to cry out and long, say, come Holy Spirit, come your kingdom, Lord Jesus. So we recognize in this moment a place of, of longing. Uh, and in that longing, we pray. And when I say that, I mean we pray not just with the longing, but we pray uh, specifically and intelligently and thoughtfully 
uh, that his kingdom come. And the way I think of this is imagine that we're that kingdom outpost sort of on the edge or the fringe of the island and we're surrounded by all kinds of darkness for us to thrive in and amongst that darkness and for us to actually push it back. We have to be connected in some way to uh, a supply chain. We have to be connected to a supply chain of his life and his beauty and his glory uh, flowing through us. So we need to learn to abide in him. We need to learn to pray that his kingdom would come in our lives in power. What are the kingdom resources that need to come? What are the orders that we need to receive from him? What are the uh, things that we need to know about ourselves and about him that make the kingdom more clear uh, within us? So our prayers are uh, like that vine growing around the, the trellis, uh, many and varied and intentional and crying out and full of longing. Lord, let thy kingdom come. The other thing that happens when you're a kingdom outpost, uh, surrounded uh, by darkness and wrestling within yourself to let his kingdom come is simply for uh, obedience, obedience and faithfulness. That pray, that prayer, thy kingdom come, is a prayer to really let his influence be felt through us. And that means us being people who are truly obedient to his word. And that means his word uh, comes into conflict with uh, our sexual identities, that his word comes into conflict with the way we use our finances. His word comes into conflict uh, with our, our will and our desires. His word comes into conflict with the choices of how we use our time. Uh, we're called moment by moment as people living in kingdom outposts to hear what is needed in that space and respond to what we hear in prayer and to what we hear through the reading of the scriptures and begin to obey. And that is how his influence is seen in the world around us as we become obedient people loving in the way that he called us to love. So there's action required. Um, and we often look at that, uh, you know, as churches and as people, and we often think that sort of sense of obedience and us being who we ought to be is sort of the end of what it is to let the kingdom expand. We sort of imagine that uh, if we just be good people, if we just do the kingdom, if we just act like he wants us to do, uh, longing and praying and being obedient, that that in itself will somehow expand the kingdom of God. But there's also another element. There's an element of conflict where we intentionally reach out beyond where we are and we extend his influence into the homes of our neighbors. We extend his influence into the homes of our friends. We extend his influence in our workplaces. And so often uh, that brings us into conflict, doesn't it? Uh, with um, the people that we know and the people that we love, we're meant to uh, take the kingdom and lay hold of it forcefully and bring his influence to bear. Um, and we see that, I mean, we see that in Paul's teaching in Ephesians 6, chapter 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. We go forward into homes, into places, into culture, uh, 
in ways that bring us into conflict with the spiritual uh, powers. Second uh, Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, for uh, the weapons of this warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And listen, we destroy every argument and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. Sometimes we are called to argue. Sometimes we are called to take a truth and put it out into a place where that truth is not yet understood and not yet believed and to hash it out and to uh, proclaim it and to call the world around us to goodness. Uh, we as Canadians, we love a really, really passive Christianity where we don't say the hard things that challenge the world around us. Um, and, and there's, of course, a problem with that. There are some of us who um, engage in the conflict but do it without the compassion of the kingdom. And those with the compassion of the kingdom often don't want to engage in the conflict at all, right? So we're in this strange and messy place where um, we need desperately for the kingdom to come into conflict with the darkness, and those who are engaged in the conflict do so on social media uh, and in other ways aggressively and in some ways harmfully. What we need to do is we need to go into those places with compassion, with kindness, with goodness, with gentleness, and let the gentleness and compassion and, and kindness of the Lord be the thing that comes into conflict uh, with the brokenness of the world. And I just wanted to say we can really trust that true compassion uh, will not fail to come into conflict with evil. True compassion will not fail to come into conflict with the broken morality of our culture. Uh, we're called to create uh, uh, and herald a kingdom that will actually bring light and goodness and, and will actually help people. And so we can do so winsomely and we can do so kindly and we can do so compassionately. Um, but it is conflict nonetheless. We are meant to step outside of our doors to do evangelism, to do uh, a proclamation of the word of God, as much as that makes us uncomfortable. So we have longing when we pray thy kingdom come, because we just feel that there is so much more. Uh, we pray intelligently so that we are connected to the Father and to his resourcing for the coming of the kingdom, so that we are understanding the battle that's happening inside of ourselves and that we are ever becoming more clearly places of his influence, becoming more and more like him. We need obedience so that we are uh, creating an outpost around us where we can say that, hey, in this footprint, all around us, there is a place where his will is being done. And then we need to come from that place of strength, uh, that place of his will being done in our own lives and stepping outside of our door to reach into the homes of our neighbors and our workplaces and uh, let the kindness and generous love of God come into conflict with the brokenness and darkness that we see. I want to close this with a story uh, of an outpost of life in an outpost. And you'll remember a few weeks ago, we, uh, I shared a little bit about um, a miracle that happened in Cairo, Egypt, in uh, the City of the Dead, um, uh, through a missionary that we were there visiting. And some of you have heard the story of uh, some of our, our trip there, but uh, we were in Cairo, 
uh, on a mission trip, we were there to, you know, quietly um, and not get caught doing evangelism to support the work of evangelism of a missionary there. Uh, it's illegal to do proselytization in Cairo, but we were there to pray and we were there to care. And we had uh, somebody in our team who was a little bit of a brash and an insensitive person, kind of a loud uh, mouth kind of a per person, uh, you know, a lovable, wonderful guy, but took photographs of um, an Egyptian military installation and uh, had, we had literally had this scenario where the white van uh, came up and the secret police jumped out and took this guy and arrested him along with the missionary we were visiting and took them off uh, and, and they disappeared. And we went uh, from there, we went back to the missionary's home. I cleaned files off of the computer. Somebody packed my clothes while I did that. We hid floppy disks in crazy places and uh, left their home and went, you know, from one cab to another cab to another cab, a crisscrossing the city and out, ended up in a seedy uh, hotel in Cairo, uh, hiding out and waiting to leave the country, waiting for news of this person who was with us who had been arrested and, and of the missionary. Um, and finally, uh, partway through that uh, time of hiding out in that hotel, we um, were able to make contact with the wife of the missionary, and with great praise and with great uh, joy, she was able to tell us that uh, they'd both been released um, from the secret police, and that that missionary had had no file on him, uh, no information on him had been in the in the secret police's database. Now he'd already been informed on. He'd already had some people who were early converts of his mission work um, actually. Uh, give intel on him so a couple of them had been deported already uh, one had been uh, taken to prison was lost somewhere in the prison system another one had been uh, committed to an insane asylum by his family uh, the four people that he led to Christ as a missionary there so his first four converts were were gone um, yet somehow they didn't have any file or any information on him so we believe sort of God miraculously lost that file um, but as we were uh, sort of managed to collect our person and we were planning to leave the country, uh, we received a call uh, from the missionary and his wife, and they just said, please, please, we are scared and we are lonely. Can some of you stay and pray with us? And so myself and, uh, and, and Sister Judy, one of my, my missiology teacher, uh, went back from a cab across the city, a cab across the city, a cab across the city, and snuck back uh, to the missionary's place and spent a number of days uh, with them holed up in their apartment just praying for the kingdom of God to come. Life in the outpost uh, can be difficult. Life in the outpost can be lonely. It can be full of longing. It can be full of fear. It can be uh, full of a sense that the darkness is so thick around you that you don't know uh, what you can do. But what I believe for us as a church uh, in these moments and for us as individuals in these moments is that when we pray, thy kingdom come, his presence and his glory and his beauty actually comes. It comes. It comes through his presence. It comes through the gift of people. It comes through the gift of, of care. It comes in surprising ways. But his kingdom comes. And two months later, uh, we see the story of the healing, of the miracle of the blind person uh, receiving their sight. 
his kingdom comes and the mission work begins again. Uh, OVV is a kingdom outpost, crying, thy kingdom come. And we don't want to be in a place of imagining we're under the kind of persecution our friends were in Egypt. We don't want to imagine that we're in a place of, of you know, conspiracy theories and dark forces conspiring to take us out uh, there. We're not quite in that place in Canada yet. But we aren't any longer building a community church in Carlton Place that will be a nice, comforting thing where we can all just come and worship and experience uh, the thing that we experienced, those of us who are heritage Christians, the world just isn't that place anymore. Uh, the Carlton place that we are established in uh, is a place where um, the darkness feels like it's gathering. And in Canada, it feels like the darkness is gathering. But what we know, what we see in that moment is that when the darkness gets darker, the kingdom is meant to get brighter that we're coming into conflict with the powers of darkness. We're coming into conflict uh, with uh, the challenge of uh, darkening skies. And what we know is that the kingdom will actually win. But we are not meant to just create a nice little comfortable church anymore. That's just not who we are. We are a kingdom outpost that are meant to advance his kingdom in the world around us intelligently, thoughtfully, longingly, prayerfully, obediently, and aggressively. We are mission outpost. And so as we begin to rebuild, as we begin to think about who we're supposed to be as a community in the coming days, discipleship becomes more important than ever. A holding to our core values, holding to sound theology becomes more important than ever. A holding to one another in relationships and in faithfulness becomes more important than ever. Holiness becomes more important than ever. Because for the kingdom to withstand the darkness around us, the kingdom must expand within us. For the kingdom to overtake the darkness around us, the kingdom must powerfully be established and moving in us and through us. So this is a time, OVV, for us to go deep. This is a time for us not to play around. This is a time for us not to play games. I know we're in summer mode and we feel like we want to chill. And that's, that's a good breath for us, a good pause for us in the coming few months. But as we reestablish ourselves in the fall, we are called to be an outpost. And it's not a light game, it's a serious game. And the only way we survive it is by knowing that the ownership is his. We can easily own a nice little comfy church that comforts us and feels like a nice place to visit on Sunday morning. We can do that all by ourselves for our own glory, but that's not what we're about. We are a kingdom outpost that we can only stand and advance if we are obedient to him who owns it all. And so we pray, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come, God. Your influence come. And with longing, intelligence, obedience, 
and knowing that it brings us into conflict with the world we pray. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.